Hi everybody, it's Steph. It's time for an official opinion-o-cast. Opine-cast. This is parenting, philosophical parenting, part three. What, uh, in my opinion, is sort of wrong, or has gone wrong, in a societal sense with modern parenting. Now, modern parenting, I would say, has really gone awry from the 1960s uh, to uh, sort of mid to late 1960s uh, and onwards. And there are two elements that have occurred, you could say three, but two, two sort of central environmental elements that have occurred that have created problems in modern parenting. The first, which is not really a problem, but has, I think, allowed or facilitated the creation of a problem, is that the advances in capitalist means or methods of production produced a vast array of labor-saving devices around the home that allowed women, uh, and I say women since it primarily was, allowed women to not be involved or enslaved as 24-7 drudges in the maintenance of the family. I'm talking about things like uh, laundry machines, so you didn't have to basically go down to the river and beat your clothes against the rock or wash them by hand, which was monstrous and grueling and endless, especially for a larger family. Um, uh, cars, which uh, allowed people to live more isolated, in, in a sense, from uh, extended family. Uh, dishwashers, vacuum cleaners, uh, sort of the list could go on and on. But when you look at your sort of daily life and the labor-saving devices that are present to help you with your dull as <laughs> dull as beige chores around the house, they really did come in in the sort of post-war period. And if you follow the sort of rise of feminism in the 20th century, the integration of women into the workforce as a result of uh, the war, Second World War, was pretty considerable. Uh, Rosie the Riveter, and it was considered patriotic to go and work in a factory, and uh, so a huge amount of infrastructure in a sense, somewhat social, uh, somewhat societal, but uh, largely um, uh, familial, extended family. Uh, some of this uh, infrastructure was put in place to allow children to be cared for uh, in, the, uh, in the absence of a primary caregiver. Dad was at war, mother was in the, uh, uh, in the factories, and so it was grandmother and aunts and so on, who, uh, spinsters, who took care of the children. And so... Uh, in the post-war period, uh, 1950s and so on, you could have uh, a, a detached house and a car uh, on generally a lower to middle class income. And with the rise of uh, feminism and the introduction of these labor-saving devices, women began to feel a kind of ennui, which, I mean, certainly makes sense. And is an ennui is an improvement over what came before. I hope you understand. I'm no... I'm no foe of the egalitarian aspects of feminism or the aspects of feminism which say that women are equal to men because that's entirely my opinion. But uh, things began uh, to change and women began to want to get into the workforce uh, more and more, at least have the opportunity to do so, which seems entirely right uh, and proper in my humble opinion. But some problems occurred uh, as a result of that, which I think are sort of worth, worth examining. Now, when women wanted to get into the workforce, there was a very large change, as I've argued before, in state policy. In other words, when the farmer suddenly is able to teach the male chickens to lay eggs, it's not like he's going to halve his demands from the female chickens. He's going to be like, woohoo, twice the eggs, yippee, yay, and he's going to extend or expand his living, right? So a farmer's making a quarter million dollars off his female, um, his chickens producing, so he can find a way to make males produce, or or really fundamentally, more realistically, for his chickens to produce twice the number of eggs 
then he's going to be uh, very excited and he's going to be very happy and he's not going to say, well, now that I've got twice the egg production, I can halve the number of chickens or halve the number of eggs uh, or half the regularity with which I'm collecting eggs. No, he's going to have go from half a million, sorry, from quarter million to half a million dollars income. And that's exactly what happened with the government as women began to flock into the workplace, an activity which was not taxable in the past, which was um, housework, became taxable. In other words, it was a job. You were receiving a salary, and therefore you were now taxable. You know, the government was like, woohoo, you know, twice the, uh, uh, twice the taxes. Again, I'm not saying exactly, but you understand the, the principle. And uh, everything in statism is sold as freedom and manifests as slavery. And so a lot of state-subsidized and uh, state-enhanced and state-protected academics and other punsters began to write about uh, career as uh, self-actualization and staying at home with the children as being less than you could be and so on, all of which was very good for the state. And I think fundamentally is what I've talked about before, uh, many, many podcasts, gosh, I think over four years ago, I did a podcast where I talked about intellectuals in the state, where intellectuals look at mm, people who don't have a lot of money or who do repetitive or dumb jobs, work in a line, a factory line or whatever, and they experience the kind of horror that they, as you know, fertile language-based life forms, in sort of creatively fertile language-based life forms, would experience a kind of horror. And you can see this uh, in the character of the, um, the guy who works with... Um, the son, uh, Amanda Wingfield, uh, Tom Wingfield, I think his name is, in The Glass Menagerie, you can see a sensitive soul's regard for a sort of practical and uncreative man of action uh, and the contempt that he has and the horror that he has about thinking himself involved in such a life or encased in such a life. And so the, the feminists who wanted to become professors or wanted to become writers or wanted to become other kinds of public intellectuals looked at the women taking care of three children and so on and said, good heavens, that would be a nightmare for me, therefore it's a nightmare in general. You understand, these are all just opinions, right? But I think that they're worth, uh, they're worth something. Uh, so they made that basic mistake. You project yourself into someone's else, someone else's life and you say, well, that would be a terrible life for me and therefore it's bad, right? That would be a terrible life for me and therefore that's bad. And that's really an unfair thing to do. And really, I can tell you this for a fact, raising children is the most profound and challenging and exciting task as long as you are attempting to raise them far better than you, your, you yourself were raised. If all you're doing is replicating the way you were raised, more or less, or conforming to some general stereotype, then yeah, it's, it's dull as a bag of hammers, without a doubt. But if you were, if you were actually and actively attempting to raise children in a better way than you were raised then you are going to be doing a very challenging series of... Uh, uh, you're going to have a very challenging series of years, I can tell you that for sure. Because it requires deep self-knowledge and self-confrontation and a commitment to excellence regardless of personal discomfort to raise children in a far better way than you were raised. And by the by, to me, it does a whole lot better than publishing uh, another article in a journal that few people will read, or even a popular one that many people will read and therefore contains enormous errors because people don't like to read the truth very much, except us, my friends. So what happened was women began to feel the pressure and the drive and the need to get into the workforce, and they were encouraged to do so uh, as an act of equality and self-actualization and so on. And they were told that raising children is drudge, is dumb. 
And again, as I said, if you're just replicating the way you were parenting or going with some general stereotype and not challenging your own parenting habits, then it is absolutely, completely and totally dull. But I think, based on the last couple of podcasts, you can understand why I will say that the raising of children better, uh, raising children better than how you were raised is a fundamentally philosophical and enriching action uh, act that takes an enormous amount of creativity and resources and growth. Uh, but, but that was sort of tossed aside. Uh, because we still don't focus on the degree to which the world is enslaved by the destruction of children and the degree to which we still, still cannot see children as full human beings. They are still somewhere between, uh, somewhere above pets and somewhere below the retarded uh, adults. And uh, that is, of course, a complete challenge. The scars of being treated as less than fully human is uh, a last a lifetime. And the scars that are inflicted upon you, you will inflict upon the world more times than not. But until we can see human beings as, sorry, children as fully actualized human beings, as full human beings who are in many ways superior to us as adults, well, we simply will not heal the world. We will not grow the world. We will not change the world. We will not save the world. Uh, I have to continually tell myself, my daughter is a person. My daughter is a complete person. She is a complete person. She is not less than. She is not dumber than. She is not smaller than. She is not less significant than. She is a full and complete human being with many great skills and habits to teach me. So... Women went into the workforce and very quickly taxes raised to follow, right? There's no, it's no accident that the welfare state arose with the introduction of women into the workplace, right? Um, and it's also no accident that, uh, ah, let's get into that another time. Let's try and try it. Stay on target, red leader. So women go into the workforce, taxes rise, and suddenly women are now trapped in the workforce. Trapped in the workforce. And as a result, some of the improvements that were occurring in the 1950s and the 1960s in parenting have been catastrophically reversed. Catastrophically reversed. And that is a genuine, deep, and awful tragedy. So some of the demographics are that the dumber you are, the more children you're going to have. Why? Because if you've got any brains at all, you look at the prospect of having children versus all the other fun things you can be doing with your life. You look at the prospect of having children and you run it through a basic algorithm of... Um, cost-benefit, right? What is the, what is the cost-benefit? Well, the cost-benefit is quite simple. If you have children in the modern world, it is very likely that you are both going to have to work. Both you and your wife are going to have to work outside the home in a full-time job. That is the great likelihood, and that is the majority. And what does that mean? Well, what it means is that raising children pretty much sucks. Why? Because you're not raising children. You're emphatically and in insistently not raising your children. If you have to be at work by 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning, it means you have to leave the house usually by 7.30 or 8 at the latest, which means that you have to get up your children at 6 or 6.30 in the morning. You have to feed them quickly. You have to get yourself ready. You're passing them back and forth like a piece of hot potato because you're both, both the husband and the wife having to get ready quickly. You're hurting them out the door. It's stressful. It's busy. It's frustrating. It's where are your shoes. We don't have time. I'm going to be late. I'm the traffic and blah, blah, blah. And God forbid you find it's raining or snowing and the, the traffic is going to be worse. It is a stressful Awful, awful situation to be in. So you drop your kids at daycare or at your mom's place or whatever. And what happens then? Well, you're away from them for, let's just say, you only work eight hours a day. Well, you're away from them for the hour commute plus the eight hours plus an hour coming home. So that's 10 hours that you are uh, uh, away from them. But uh, children very often are only up for 13 hours during the day, including a nap or two during the day, right? So Izzy gets up at 6 and we'll go to bed at 7 or 8. 13, 13 hours. Of those 13 hours, you are away for 10 and you are getting ready for 1. 
in the morning, right? So you basically have two hours when you get home. And let's say it takes you half an hour just to get out of your work clothes and uh, get changed and get ready. So basically, you end up with 90 minutes with your children. In those 90 minutes, you have to feed your children. And feeding your children is going to take about an hour. And it's not the most fun thing in the world. It's a lot of distraction, a lot of would you like this, a lot of, right? So it can be a little frustrating. And you're going to have to change them. And you may have to bathe them and so on, right? And so on. And so what is the benefit of having children? Do you get to experience the relaxed joys of spending time with your children as they learn and develop new skills? Well, no. How are you going to discipline children that you only basically get 30 to 60 minutes a day, if you're lucky, of free and easy interactions? And let's say your kids do something wrong or something that you don't like. Are you going to want to discipline them well? And again, what I mean by discipline is not any kind of verbal harshness or punishment or anything like that, but, you know, the stuff I've talked about before, right? The encouragement of positive behavior and the, uh, the gentle remonstrance versus negative behavior, which is all that has been necessary. Well, you're not going to have that rhythm. You're not going to know your kid's rhythm. Your kid's rhythms change. They develop naps. They drop naps. They want to get up earlier. They want to go to bed later. They want to go to bed earlier. They, they change. You're not going to be in touch with those. And then you put your kids to bed, uh, and then you have to clean up uh, the mess that uh, the kids have made, uh, which is considerable, especially when they're young and you're fe- they're learning how to feed themselves. There's food all over the floor. There's um, food on the walls. There's toys all over the place. Uh, there's uh, just a litter and a trail of mess that kids make, and that's perfectly understandable and natural for children. So you spend another hour cleaning and tidying, and then you have to do laundry, which is a pretty much a daily occurrence when you have children. Right? So come... 10 o'clock, you're all done your chores, large, most of which have come about from, from having kids. You're all done your chores, uh, your, your kids are in bed, you've bathed them, you've, you've uh, sang to them, you've played with them a little, you've read stories, and let's say your kids don't want to get to bed, and they come up, and they get up, and they get out of bed, and you've got to put them back in bed with no eye contact and all that kind of stuff. And then let's say they wake up once or twice in the night, and let's say you haven't sleep trained them, because it's really tough to sleep train your children when you go to work during the day, for a variety of reasons we don't have to get into here. So then you're up with your kids once or twice a night, trying to get them back to bed, or concerned that if, you, if they share a room or even are close, that the one kid crying is going to wake up the other kid, and, right? And then what happens is you're completely exhausted. Meh, the buzzer rises. Uh, the buzzer goes off at 6 a.m., and you start it all over again. But isn't that a life that you would give people as punishment? Right? Isn't that what a life that you would give people as a form of punishment? To give all of the negative or challenging or difficult aspects of parenting and very few of the positive aspects of parenting, right? So you never get to sleep in, your sleep is disturbed, you have a huge amount of extra work and drudgery and uh, your meals take forever and you have to cook extra meals and there's extra cleaning and you have to go and shop for clothes and you have to go and shop for toys and you have to do lots of extra cleanup and you, right? And you're exhausted the whole time. Well, that's all the negative aspects of parenting. And you're away for all of the positive aspects of parenting. And this is, this is the chilling thing that occurs, right, when you're in a state of society, that the academics who claimed that child raising was a drudge, was dull, negative, difficult, and uh, fundamentally unrewarding work, well, it sure has become that now. Because people generally don't feel that they have the choice. They don't feel that they have the choice to have one person working and one person at home. Or ideally... Two people working part-time and at home, particularly when the kids are young. And so we're back to what Lloyd DeMoss talks about uh, in uh, his work with the farming out of child raising to virtual strangers, right? Farming out of child raising to virtual strangers. So children, rather than getting the individual attention and care from their parents, are now farmed out 
to state-licensed and often state-subsidized or directly state-controlled practitioners who have a room full of kids and cannot give individual attention and uh, cannot resolve disputes, uh, can't have their eyes in all places at once. And I can say this, uh, I think, with some confidence, having worked in a daycare for many years. Uh, it is Lord of the Flies, catch as catch can, control the best you can, and it certainly is very little individual attention and very little individual even interaction. All you're doing is managing a bunch of kids bouncing off the walls, as they generally tend to do in the absence of parental interaction. And this is what I mean when I say that child raising has been set back a generation or two through the uh, entrance of women into the workforce, followed by, followed by the enslavement of women in the workforce through doubling up on taxation. And that remains a huge problem. Another thing that has occurred, and again, I can tell you this with some certainty, though I only have some statistics to back this up, which means that I've only researched it to some degree, not that there are some that contradict it. But wherever I go with Isabella, I see an inordinate number of rather elderly women taking care of children, young, rambunctious, energy-packed children who want to be picked up all the time. And I'm telling you, as a pretty fit 43-year-old, I can I find it a little bit tiring after a while with a 25-pound baby in my arms for an hour or two. I can't imagine if I were 70 and a woman and, you know, two-thirds my weight, uh, it would be very difficult. And I can tell you, none of the women, I've, none of the grandmoms I talk to who are taking care of their kids are having fun. Are having fun. They all just feel like, well, it's better this than strangers. What am I going to do? Parents have to work. Now, this is certainly not to disparage all grandmothers, but if we accept that parenting in general tends to improve generation over generation, and in many ways I would argue that that is the case, however incremental it may seem, or tinyly incremental it may seem at times, well, here we're putting women, uh, we're putting children in the care of women who essentially are practicing the parenting techniques of three generations back. Because they're, I mean, the grandmoms are replicating the way they were raised, because very few of them have gone through therapy and self-knowledge and enlightenment and so on, and were not exposed during their time of parenting to more modern enlightenment uh, practices, right? So if you've got a 70-year-old woman now, you know, she was raising her kids, uh, I guess, uh, let's say she raised them at the age of 25, right? So you've got some, uh, some 70-year-old kid, you know, 1945, 1950, 1955, uh, she was raising her kids. And uh, that was not exactly the age of enlightenment for children. That stuff came along more in the 60s and 70s with Benjamin Spock and so on, to some degree. And so you basically got three generations back a template of child raising that is being uh, inflicted on the kids, or they're going into um, uh, just some kind of uh, mosh pit of uh, statist daycare, right? And that is, uh, when, I, when I say that, that parenting and child raising has fallen back in time, well, farming out your kids was a practice of the late Middle Ages and the early Renaissance to the early Enlightenment, right? That's uh, farming out your kids. And again, I'm not saying that uh, the wet nurses uh, of, the, of 18th century or 17th century France or England were the equivalent to modern daycare providers. You understand, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that the basic principle of farming out your children for strangers to raise uh, and again, I'm not saying it's you know it was for years at a time and so on, but uh, I, so I'm not, I'm not I'm not equating the two, but I'm saying that there is an underlying principle that strangers are doing the majority of your child raising, and uh, that is a genuine tragedy. You know, the joys in parenting 
are in the little moments that you spend in the everyday. When she learns something new, when she uh, uh, does something new, uh, when she has a momentary delight over seeing a bird, when she squeals with excitement uh, over seeing a new toy or something strange, like say she saw Isabella saw a bird flying around in the mall the other day and just it was very excited. When uh, she figures something out that's new, uh, I mean these are all the little joys of the everyday. They do not occur in the hurly burly of managing and feeding and changing and uh, washing and all of that stuff that occurs. That stuff's all functional. And it's like somebody said, you uh, you can have a car, but you can only drive it when it needs to get its oil changed or needs to get or needs to be washed or needs to have its gas filled, right? That would not be much of a fun thing to do with having a car because the maintenance of anything is not that much fun, right? You can have a computer, but you can only ever run defrags and virus removals and uh, registry cleanups on it. You can't do anything else. Be like, well, thanks, but uh, that's okay. I, uh, I think I'll survive without. And so... And again, I'm not counting weekends. I'm just talking about, right? And they're not unimportant. The weekends are not unimportant for sure. And it's great that the parents are spending time with their kids on the weekends. But I am talking about the weekdays, which are pretty important. And this is assuming that you don't have any work on the weekends uh, and you're still going to be tired on the weekends, right? So again, the weekends are important and you get more into a regular family schedule and family life there. But um, I'm still talking about the weekdays, right? That's the majority of your time, more than double the time on the weekends. The majority of your time is spent uh, stressed and having to hurry the kids and uh, concerned and worried and missing out on all of the basic little things that are occurring during the day that are the real joys of parenthood. And uh, that to me is really tragic. It lowers the quality of parenting. It significantly lowers the intimacy the parents have with their children. It lowers the patience of parents who are both working because they're harried, they're hurried, they're stressed, they're always late, they're, they're in a rush, they're snappy, they're tense, they're frustrated, they're stressed, right? I mean, that is not a relaxing and enjoyable atmosphere for children to grow up in. And you can still see it sort of playing out in a lot of the problems that occur in the teenage years for uh, for kids. So this is what I mean when I say intelligent people, I will be so bold as to count myself among those numbers, intelligent people look at the raising of children and we say, boy, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. And I was not at all keen to uh, to have or raise children when I was in my 20s. And my early 30s. I just wasn't. And it wasn't just because I wasn't dating people who were right with me, let alone right right in their head. It was just because I looked at that and I, I saw my brother. He had his kids and, he, you know, we were starting a business at the time. We were on the road two weeks a month uh, and uh, it was stressful and he missed his kids and they missed him and the relationship was strained because he kept coming and going and there were just lots of problems. And I thought, well, why would you want that? You, do, you get very few of the organic benefits of parenting, right? The joys of the progress, the intimacy, the love, the affection, because you're gone for most of the day. I mean, you're gone for 10 hours a day to a one-year-old. You might as well be gone six months to a 10-year-old, right? You, you know, you have to sort of remember that you have a dad when he comes back. And, of course, there's another aspect, which is uh, was very significant to me as well, was that with two people working, and this is to some degree true with even only one person working, but with two people working in particular... I simply could not figure out how the intimacy and love and sexuality of a marriage could be maintained. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't even remotely figure that out. Because you run through these scenarios. You say, okay, well, I'm up, I'm exhausted, uh, I'm busy, I'm harried, I'm getting dressed, I'm tossing the kids back and forth and snapping at them because my wife also has to get ready and then we've got to herd them out the door and they can't find things and we've got to remember to pack their lunch. And, I mean, that's all really stressful and, and tough stuff. And then, you know, we were at work all day and we get home and we've got to feed and bathe and clean and laundry and, and tidy and, and get them to bed and get them back to bed. And right, that's all really stressful and negative. And then around 10 o'clock, you know, we find a pop down on the couch and we get a chance to say, how was your day? But we can barely keep our eyes open. And this goes on for years. How on earth 
could that be anything other than fairly catastrophically destructive to the intimacy and love and sexuality of a marriage? And you hear this, you know, married couples, oh, you know, sleep or sex, sleep or sleep, right? And it, no, it's not, I mean, I understand it's not really just about the sex. I mean, it's about the intimacy as a whole. It's the, the, sexu- the quality of the sexuality grows out of the, the love and the intimacy. And, uh, and uh, I saw this in uh, most, of the, um, most of the couples that I knew who had children. They just became functional child robots, right? Childminder, Childminder 2000, trademark, right? That's what they became. Because, I mean, until you have kids, you just, you simply don't get the degree to which you just are never the same again. Never the same again. Your life is never the same again. And you honestly can't remember what the hell you did with your time before you had children. You just cannot remember. What the hell did I do with my time before I had kids? And that is uh, quite a, quite a challenge. And, uh... Something that any rational person looks at and says, I don't know, I don't know. Like, there is no reality show called Having Kids, right? Uh, Young Kids. Uh, It really goes to drop of the breeding. So, of course, what happens is the least intelligent people who are the least able to process long-term consequences have kids, right? And so, you, obviously, you have a bit of a dumbing down of the population to some degree. I mean, I don't think that's hugely uh, relevant and important. But what does happen, of course, is that... uh, uh, government starts running out of, of new livestock, right? And that's a big problem. Um, you know, the intelligent don't breed. So you have to import new livestock, right? That's what you always do. When your domestic livestock isn't breeding, you import new livestock, which is called immigration, which causes tensions, uh, cultural and a lack of unity. And the unity of the country is something that is sold as a myth to keep people paying taxes. And so the unity begins to break down. And you can see this in the United States and racism and fear of Mexicans and, and all that and demographic minorities that the whites will achieve in the next couple of decades and blah, 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 right? So we don't have to get into all of that stuff. But what does happen for sure is that parenting becomes a kind of negative activity. Like, I basically just signed up for a crappy second job, which I have to pay to go to. I mean, that, that's tragically, that's what happens to, uh, to a lot of this, uh, this, this sort of unconscious calculations that occur with, with parenting. Right? That's, that's really not a good deal, right? So I come to you and say, hey, <laughs> how would you like uh, a second job of, uh, you know, cleaning poop and, and washing babies and, uh, and changing and, and, and hurrying them. How would you like a second job babysitting where you have to pay twenty or $30,000 a year to, to go to it, right? Uh, which is going to uh, take you uh, six or seven hours a day. Oh, and you're also going to have to get up at night. And we're going to put a, uh, a, um, an air horn next to your bed to wake you up a couple of times a night. Uh, how does that sound to you? An unpaid menial job six, seven, or eight hours a day during the weekdays, and you still have to have your full-time job, and I'm going to charge you twenty or $30,000 a year for you to do it, and you're going to have to wake up a couple of times a night. So you're going to be exhausted, you're going to be working two jobs, and you're going to be working one job to pay for the second job. How does that sound as a deal? Well, that would sound like, who would take that? Nobody. You put that ad in the newspaper, right? Near a full-time job, <laughs> you'll pay twenty to $30,000, and it will be really, really boring and frustrating and stressful. Just try it. You know, see who's going to answer that ad and say, I'm in. <laughs> Sign me up. Well, uh, of course, that's, uh, that's not going to happen. But that is the reality in many ways. And I'm, I know that this is a, uh, 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 I'm not showing the light that comes through the cracks, right? What's it? Leonard Cohen said, everything is cracked. That's where the light comes in. But there's a real reality. I'm telling you, there's a real reality to what it is that I'm talking about. And... Intelligent people make these calculations that parenting 
in many ways, becomes a crappy second job which you pay to attend. And, of course, who pays the price, fundamentally? I mean, the parents do pay the price, but the parents made the choice, fundamentally. Who pays the price is the children. Children do not like to be rushed. I'll tell you this. I know this for a fact. Daycare, nieces, daughter. Children do not like to be rushed. Why? Well, children don't like to be rushed because they don't have any sense of cause and effect. And they want to. Everything is new for them, right? So imagine if uh, I was sprinting like you were a a kid. Oh, forget that. Suppose you were an adult who was really into electronics. And I was sprinting you through. I could put, tied you to a wheelchair. You really wanted to go to the consumer electronics show. And I, I sprinted you through it on the way to something else. You'd be like, no, 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 I want to see that. Oh, wait, what's, what's that? Oh, my iPad. I want to follow the iPad. Right? Well, that's what the world is to children. They don't want to rush through anything because everything is new and something to explore and learn from. And so they want to get into everything and absorb everything and look at everything and understand everything and take everything apart. You can't rush children. I mean, you can, obviously, but they will resist it fiercely. You can't rush children because... Um, Everything is fascinating to them. I mean, try rushing a, uh, a seven-year-old through Disney World. It's just not, uh, not going to happen. So uh, everything is fascinating, particularly to young children. So when they're rushed, they feel a great deal of resentment. They don't know why they're being rushed. They can't figure out the cause and effect. They just know their parents are getting stressed and tense, and they're not allowed to explore something they desperately want to explore and play around with. Children need a relaxed and uh, uh, unstructured, at least when they're very young. They need more structure when they get older, but they need a very unstructured and free-forming go-explore I will hover, make sure you're kept safe, go explore, let's interact, let's pull things apart, let's put them back together, let's figure out how they work. And yeah, kids have to do it 10,000 times, and it is really, really dull at times, for sure. I mean, but that's, I mean, anybody who doesn't know that or doesn't expect that has not spent a moment's thought either thinking about children or remembering what it's like to be a child. So rushing children is a bad idea, and children are in a state of rush pretty continually. And all of that just adds up to a pretty negative experience for children, uh, children very much absorb the emotional air, right? They breathe the emotional air that is around them. And if that air is stressed and tensed and isn't that, then yeah, they're going to be uh, they're going to be upset and they're going to be tense, and it's going to be a stressful and difficult time for them because they won't have the context to understand why the rush is so important, what is really going on, and they all they'll know is that everything that they want to play with is being torn away from them, and that is very tough. That is very tough for, ch- for kids. So I hope that this uh, helps at least sort of understand why I think that parenting is in a you know, pretty dire strait and why I think, you know, if we don't uh, find a way to solve these issues with, uh, with kids, then we're going to have a retrogression, a regression in society with regards to this progress that I think hitherto was occurring uh, slowly and painfully, but was occurring. We're going to have problems because the quality of the world rests on the quality of parenting. And statism has really stolen childhood and uh, its joys and parenting and its joys from the world, as it tends to do with everything that is good and great. So we'll talk next about some of the potential solutions that I see, and I hope that you enjoy this. I'll talk to you soon.